This is Coast to Coast with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams, America's top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, both of them, one from California, one from Massachusetts. You can only guess what will happen next. Coast to Coast is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Coast to Coast on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi in Massachusetts. And I'm Craig Williams in Southern California. I write a blog called May It Please the Court. And I write a blog called Law Sites, another blog called Media Law. Well, Craig, the HP scandal has rocked corporate America uh, after learning that there were in-house leaks sharing confidential company information with the news media. The top executives of Hewlett-Packard apparently came up with their own way of dealing with the situation. Well, and they did that with apparently with the help of Boston-based security outsourcing solutions, and Hewlett-Packard was able to find the leak due to potentially illegal methods. The discovery eventually got the attention of Congress. Last week, the California Attorney General filed criminal charges against former HP Chairwoman Patricia Dunn and other four others for their roles in the HP uh, spying scandal that involved allegedly impersonating uh, board directors and journalists in order to obtain their phone records. And now we have a new word in our lexicon, the term pretexting, or using fraudulent means to obtain someone else's personal records, and that's become a key component in the case. The charges brought against the the individuals in this case involve uh, obtaining phone records under false pretenses, unauthorized access to and use of computer data, identity theft, and conspiracy to commit these crimes. Uh, the charges carry penalties of up to $10,000 or imprisonment of up to three years. And, Bob, today we're going to turn to our experts to discuss the scandal. Uh, joining us today uh, are three guests. First off is Professor Peter J. Henning from Wayne State University Law School in Detroit. Uh, Professor Henning is uh, known to uh, many bloggers as co-editor of the White Collar Crime Prof blog, He uh, teaches courses in corporations, white-collar crime, professional responsibility, criminal law and procedure, and securities litigation. Uh, He's a former federal prosecutor and co-author of two case case books, White Collar Crime, Law and Practice, and also Criminal Law, Concepts and Practice. Welcome to the show, Professor Henning. Thank you for having me. And our next guest is Attorney William Keene. Bill is the former federal is a former federal prosecutor in Silicon Valley, who's a partner in the San Francisco law firm of Frella, Braun, and Martell. Mr. Keene heads the firm's white collar crime corporate investigations group. He specializes in the defense and trial of complex criminal and civil enforcement actions, including securities fraud cases by the U.S. Attorney's Office and the SEC, and in conducting internal corporate investigations. Welcome to the show, Bill. Glad to be with you. And last but not least is Justin Sheck. Justin is a reporter covering the federal courts and agencies for The Recorder, a San Francisco-based legal daily uh, and affiliate of American Lawyer Media and Law.com. Justin has been covering the HP spying scandal, has written several articles uh, on the topic. Welcome to the show, Justin. Thank you for having me. Well, Professor, we're going to start with you and toss this question and and ask you to give us your vantage on the HP scandal. Well, you know, if you look at this, what's so striking about what HP did uh, is that they got completely caught up in themselves. Uh, They viewed this as, and they've continued to say, that this whole issue of leaks from the board was a major issue and that they had to uh, 
do almost anything to stop it, um, but it, it, it just took them over. Why do you think it got so all-consuming? Well, I, you know, when people who work for corporations sometimes um, start to think that everything they're doing is, uh, you know, the most important thing, and I, everybody does that. Uh, your job is always the most important job, and what they lost sight of, and especially the lawyers here, uh, lost sight of what you have to do is not just what isn't illegal, but you have to do what's legal and right. And once they lost sight of that, uh, this case just, or the investigation just spun out of control. Well, that's, that's a point I've seen raised a lot here. There's a, there seems to be a distinction being made between what, what, what the corporation was legally obligated to do or not do here and what it was ethically obligated to do or, or not do. Bill Keene, I wonder what your perspective is on, on, on what, what are, were there illegalities here potentially, and, and what were they? Well, I think, excuse me, as you probably know, they were um, charged under three different state statutes. Um, one dealing with computer hacking, one dealing with identity theft, and um, one dealing with um, um, public utility data. Um, again, too early to say whether there has actually been uh, uh, crimes committed. Certainly the state AG's office felt like they have. Um, it's uh, a case in which um, uh, there are some challenges in terms of fitting this conduct into the statutes charged. Uh, and then, of course, ultimately, as you know, for a criminal case, it's ultimately going to depend on um, the various parties' intent and a higher um, an individual is up in the uh, chain of command, the more challenges there will be uh, proving intent uh, absent, uh, you know, some smoking gun um, like a, um, an email or, or a written memo. Justin, where you've been following this uh, for the Recorder, which is a legal newspaper, and I'm wondering where, where were the lawyers in this? I know that GCN Baskins has resigned, but my understanding is that no, no charges have been brought against her. The, the, there were charges filed against the, the HP's Ethics Council. Right, and um, I think that's sort of the big question for, for a lot of us here. Um, you know, number one, because Larry Sonsini's name um, came up very early in the game um, as someone who did, you know, at least nominally did an investigation um, initially of, of HP's own investigation. Um, so there are big questions um, as to what he knew or what he didn't know and whether he should have, you know, advised people differently or known more than he did about the investigative methods. Um, it doesn't look like he's going to be in any trouble at this point. And Baskins has seemed to avoid getting in trouble despite Dunn pointing the finger at her. But obviously, you know, Hunsick, Kevin Hunsicker, who's the ethics expert, doesn't seem to be in particularly good shape. And he had um, authored one or two, excuse me, one or two emails that seemed to indicate a, a willingness to not know what was going on. So he seems to be taking a uh, pretty heavy share of the blame at this point. But I think um, Baskins is still an open question. Well, Justin, some of the tactics apparently included a sting on a operation on a reporter where they placed tracer software in an email to track uh, who she was communicating with. What's been the reaction in the uh, journalistic community? Well, I think, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, it doesn't sound very good to me, but, um, I mean, I think, you know, globally, overall, looking at this thing, um, you know, we, we like leaks, and, yeah, obviously the HP board <laughs> doesn't. So it's been interesting, I think, to see, the uh, the amount the you know the fervor with which they've gone after them I think and and, and the whole idea of, of not only you know sort of this gotcha scheme with the uh, CNET reporter but also um, the discussions that were reported of potentially dressing someone as uh, clerical staff and trying to get them a job in the Wall Street Journal offices and I believe in the CNET offices is um, sort of disturbing and um, on the one hand on the other hand you know 
makes you think that maybe uh, the press has a little bit more power than uh, as we think we do. So that was, you know, mixed feelings, but generally um, I, I'm not a big fan of being spied on, not like anyone else, I guess. Professor, uh, Bill mentioned that this is uh, they're maybe trying to shoehorn this, the Attorney General is trying to shoehorn this into some statutes. Is this a crime without a criminal statute to back it up? There's at least a, they have some pretty good arguments uh, that they can make that it, I mean, pretexting is wrong. I don't think anyone would say that you can impersonate someone to get their private information. Um, but it, it may be unethical, but it's a tough call to say whether this is illegal. They're, they're out looking for a statute. Of course, California's now passed one that will make this explicitly illegal. But like so often that we see, you know, Sarbanes-Oxley uh, closed the door after the horse was out. And it, all they're saying is, well, now we're just going to make it more explicit. Uh, this is going to be a tough case uh, for the government to prosecute. Not only is it hard to figure out, do these laws really apply? But then, like Bill said, these are intent crimes. And, you know, you have the low-level people saying, we got orders, and you got the upper-level people saying, we didn't know what they were doing, and everyone's going to start pointing fingers at anyone. The interesting thing to me will be to see if any of the defendants cooperate. Yeah, and I think that's been a question with Baskins. I'm sorry to interrupt, but that's something that a lot of people have been wondering. There's no evidence to indicate that she is cooperating in the state probe, but given um, the amount of times they're done to said she relied on in-house counsel, I, I think there's a, a big question as to whether you know Baskins has got has or is going to cooperate. Well, I think you know it's hard to see indicting done without Baskins, uh, and it's hard to see why Gentilucci, who was I guess one of their security chiefs, how he avoided indictment. He was below Hunsaker and was the contact with Delia. Um, unless he too, I, I've got to believe he's got a, a deal or some type of cooperation agreement that we just haven't seen yet. I, I would say Peter and Justin would know it would be somewhat unusual to prosecute any kind of white-collar case where intent is such um, uh, the, the critical part of a case without somebody cooperating. It would be very unusual if this case goes to trial, goes to verdict, and uh, no one has cooperated with the government. And by cooperation, I think we all mean taking some type of uh, guilty plea in exchange for leniency uh, and cooperation. Yeah, and I think that was a big concern um, that the company had <clears throat> before deciding to, you know, whether to fire or force people to resign. Is you know, Do you want to make a bunch of enemies who could potentially do harm to the executives who were still in power? And I think that's still sort of a, you know, an issue, given that Dunn has come out in 60 minutes now and in, in the Wall Street Journal op-ed page, um, trying to give her side of the story that's could have been an ongoing concern. Well, that's an interesting tactic, too, by Dunn and her lawyer to have her come out and speak so publicly. I mean, that, again, is something you generally don't see. Most people take the fifth, uh, although... Yeah, he's, taken a, he's taken a lot of heat for that, um, but I was actually talking with a, with a former prosecutor yesterday who made the point that, um, you know, for Dunn, her concern now isn't so much the legality as much as her reputation and, and the way she's viewed um, by the public in that Perhaps uh, this could be, end up being a good strategy as long as she didn't perjure herself in front of Congress or say anything that could later be pointed to as a lie. I can speak to that also. I, um, I've been quoted as saying that it's, uh, and, and any defense attorney would tell you this, that it's you know, kind of textbook to not have your client testify under oath when there's a pending criminal investigation. But I think one of the things people forget is we're very often in a situation where we might advise a client not to testify, but the client doesn't take our advice. It's ultimately the client's decision, and very often uh, the clients will ultimately make such a decision based, as Justin is saying, on reputation or protecting uh, his or her reputation or for job security. 
Um, so I don't think I know uh, Mr. Brosnahan has said um, that he was comfortable with it, um, and um, he and he's right. It's a case by case basis. But I, I don't think we should forget that we don't know for certain what went on in that privileged communication. For all we know, her counsel did tell her we would advise not to te- advise you not to testify, and she decided to um, go a different route. I'm wondering the, the circumstances of this of this case are so outrageous in a sense. Uh, what are are there lessons here for for other corporations? I mean, is the, are we talking here about something that 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 could have only happened uh, this one time at this one company, or uh, are are there uh, circumstances that are uh, generic to the way we do business in this country? I'll take a shot at that if I could. Um, one of the things that's interesting about this case is it's one of the very few uh, cases, or, or if not the first of, of significance, in which an outside director is charged um, with criminal activity. And if you look back in securities-related uh, enforcement, where most uh, white-collar cases are, both by the SEC and by the U.S. Attorney's Office, by DOJ, um, it, there um, uh, has been very few cases um, in which outside directors are charged. And this is one of the first, certainly the, um, the one of, with, um, with the most publicity. Um, I think it's hard to draw any conclusions because the facts are so unique. Um, but I think uh, if I was an outside director looking at the scrutiny brought on Ms. Dunn, it would uh, give me pause. I also say it because it will be interesting in the stock option cases in which boards were uh, involved, uh, sometimes directly, sometimes more tangentially, um, um, in terms of um, uh, uh, proving stock options and dating and that type of thing, whether, in fact, uh, the scrutiny on outside directors will uh, increase. Well, and it's, it, uh, no company is going to pretext again. I mean, everyone now has learned their lesson, and no one's going to backdate options uh, ever again. But, uh, you know, will companies do uh, something, uh, if you will, stupid uh, down the road? What, what, I guess the lesson that comes out of the case is... Uh, even even relying on the lawyers and the chief ethics officer uh, isn't going to cut it. And and I think, uh, as Bill said, that outside directors now may have even more to fear. I mean, Sarbanes-Oxley scared them once, uh, and now you've got an outside director charged with a crime, and, and we may well see more uh, charged or in SEC actions in the options timing cases do you think it's, you're going to see outside? Dangerous. Are you going to start seeing outside directors scrambling for their own counsel and asking boards to provide their separate attorneys for everyone? I, I can't mention the cases, but it's happening now in the valley. Yeah, I'm hearing about that a lot. In the stack it, it's happening now. That there are there are outside directors that are being scrutinized and have separate counsel. No charges have been brought, um, as far as you know, either by the SEC, or the U.S. Attorney's Office. But that is happening now. Um, Post Sarbanes Oxley, the SEC especially has been very public about what they call gatekeepers, um, and that is, you know, who are we going to look to um, uh, outside the you know executive suite to ensure that proper practices are being followed, uh, primarily in a securities and accounting basis, and um, uh, that, that is expanded to not only inside accountants but certainly outside auditors, um, uh, more uh, scrutiny on lawyers, both inside and outside. Uh, and um, one of the you know one of the categories of uh, persons that have yet to be um, seriously scrutinized, or certainly not to be charged in any uh, to any significant extent, is outside directors. So it uh, wouldn't surprise me at all, especially given the options that we start to see uh, more scrutiny placed in that um, in that area. Let's go back to the premise of the whole thing. 
what what was possibly going on in Patricia Dunn's head that could be so bad that she felt the need to enter and engage in this type of scrutiny of her directors and other people? I mean, what kind of justification exists for this? Well, for what you know, I mean, Dunn's point all along has been, I, you know, I was involved, but I was uninvolved, um, and that's a a standard defense. You know, we we keep coming back to it that this is an intent case. Uh, and, of course, ignorance or a lack of complete knowledge uh, could be a defense. It, uh, what she said in the uh, congressional testimony when she said, I thought you could get private information off of the Internet, um, drew <laughs> more than uh, a little bit of uh, scrutiny because no one really should believe that. But it, you know, how do you fall into these things? It, like in many white-collar crimes, it it develops or corporate crimes it starts when you when you cut corners and when you look at the end and not the means and did she wake up one morning and say boy let me violate a couple of california statutes no uh, none of these people did um, but and that's true in most of these cases they don't think they're doing anything wrong and in fact they have convinced themselves and perhaps rightfully what they're doing is right yeah there was an interesting wall street journal piece um I want to say last week, uh, you know, it came out of a long interview with Dunn, and, and they were talking about how you know, there's this long history of leaks at the HP board, and Carly Fiorina, the ousted CEO, um, had also been looking into leaks, and, and there was, this, and even you know, the, leak, the final leak that came out um, in the CNET story really didn't divulge any private company information, but just the fact that anything got out at all uh, immediately got people's hackles up, and, and they all got very upset about it. And I think that to them, leaks were much more important than to a normal board and to you know, sort of anyone who would be an outsider there. Well, this is why I wonder, in this, in this case, what, what HP should have done differently other than not do what they did. I mean, I mean, if a client were to come to you, say, Bill Keene, tomorrow and say, how do we as a corporation prevent this from happening to us, what do you tell them? Um, excuse me, well, Justin probably laughs because you're just not going to stop leaks. I mean, maybe simply of a situation where HP just said, we, we cannot believe our own board is leaking. We may expect it elsewhere, but um, if we can't have privacy in the board. So I think that made this somewhat unusual, not that other, you know, there have not been board members that have leaked. Um, I, I think for me, um, you know, you're always going to advise the client not to take anything for granted, um, to get advice when you need it. And I think, as in a lot of these cases, critical in the HP case is, we, we, we um, advise clients, you have to know what people down the chain of command are doing. Don't, don't give somebody a project that conceivably could have some questionable, unethical, illegal activity and then turn a blind eye. Um, this is a bad time to be trying cases uh, in front of juries um, with, you know, with questioning the ethics of uh, corporate executives. So um, you've got to have accountability and you've got to keep track of people. So. Um, you know, it's tough to say, you know, go, you know, go figure this out, go find phone records. I don't know. I, w I don't want to know um, how you do it. So um, we're regularly advising people that if you're doing um, an investigation um, or you have any kind of activity that could be borderline, do, working overseas, overseas government, you have to know what your people are doing. Um, and then uh, we certainly have a little more control over those things when we, do, when we actually do the corporate uh, investigations and we conduct those. Um, but I, I, I would end by saying on this, this topic, uh, um, the one thing that when you conduct an internal investigation you don't want to be doing is creating new problems. I mean, it would seem to be that would be number one. Now, we're going to do an internal investigation. Let's be sure at the end of it the investigation itself isn't being investigated. 
you think that juries are going to be more willing to hold corporate CEOs uh, to a higher standard because of all the news that we've heard about astronomical uh, salaries? Well, that's a, I mean, that's a, that's a tough question, and, and we've tried cases. We had a case with a CEO we tried several years ago. I, I think the bottom line is in this environment, it's a tough environment to, get to, um, uh, to, to put together a jury. Uh, the juries are uh, very sophisticated on these issues. Um, and they uh, certainly are um, no longer thinking that just because you're making a good salary or running a company, um, you won't uh, cut corners or you won't bend the rules or break the rules. Um, the fact that um, an uh, executive is making significant amount of money doesn't help. A lot of the times that would depend simply on whether the, the money received or the compensation received has something to do with the, uh, the improper conduct. Now, in the HP situation, um, it wasn't um, like um, uh, the money was coming back or there was some financial benefit, say, uh, you know, um, in, in some securities fraud cases um, that you see. Um, but uh, it's definitely, uh, I think everybody would say, it's definitely a challenging time uh, to be trying these cases. Stay with us. We're going to take a short break and be back in 60 seconds uh, with more and final thoughts on this. We invite you to visit Law.com for timely legal news and in-depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, Law.com provides up-to-date information to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog, May It Please the Court, and Robert Ambrogi's blog, Law Sites, are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. Or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our Practice Center sections. If you found us in the podcast library of iTunes, thanks for listening. Check out some of our other shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com and become a member. It's free. Coast to Coast is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email. If you have a comment or question, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message on the Legal Talk Network listener line at 781-634-8959. We really do listen to the messages and even answer your questions on our next show. A video settlement documentary can be the most powerful and persuasive way to bring about a speedy settlement in your client's case. The Boston Media Group has a staff of television professionals with 20 years' experience writing and producing compelling stories just like the ones you've seen on 60 Minutes or Dateline. We put a human face on the lawsuit with compelling interviews, dramatizations, and visual presentations of the fact. Think of it as a video opening argument that will compel the attorneys on the other side to settle. Call us for a consult at 800-317-5221. That's 800-317-5221. Or check out our website at bostonmediagroup.com. Welcome back to Coast to Coast. I'm Craig Williams. And this is Bob Ambrogi. We're talking about the HP scandal with guests uh, Peter Henning, professor of law at Wayne State University Law School, Bill Keene, a white-collar criminal defense lawyer in San Francisco, and Justin Sheck, reporter for The Recorder, newspaper in San Francisco. Uh, I wonder if we could talk a little bit about uh, Mark Hurd, the CEO who, who's kind of stepped in to uh, take the helm. We, we, there's some suggestion that uh, that uh, 
he uh, at least was receiving reports on on what was going on and and might have been uh, somewhere in the loop here. Uh, so where does he stand right now in this in this matter? Well, it, it, you know, he has uh, he certainly wowed Congress when he came in and said it was all my fault, uh, or at least the buck stops here. Um, and it, it's hard. It's tough to make the case against Don. I guess it gets even harder when you have heard is has at least been able to present himself as a bit of the forgetful outsider, uh, which is not a great way in which you want a CEO to act. But at least to the extent that his fingerprints are on these investigations, he was able to steer clear of it enough. And, and in fact, you know, ultimately, what happened at HP in this investigation has nothing to do with its business. It's still selling printers and ink and computers. And he will likely come out of it looking just fine. Yeah, I don't think anyone wants to see Heard uh, brought down, especially Congress, because he's you know, so closely associated with HP's recent success. Uh, at the same time, I don't think he looked great saying that he got a memo about the pretaxing but just didn't read it. Uh, I think that's a, a tough defense to have to make before Congress and before the public. So uh, that you know, doesn't look particularly good for him. I think also when you see if, you, if you're going to take a shot at the very top, the CEO, both on the prosecution side, and then when it turns and you have to defend a case like that, what you'll normally see is you'll have to see some um, affirmative activity or some involvement um, before you would take that shot in terms of evidence. If it's simply just passively, maybe a couple of things passed um, um, his or her desk in terms of CEO, that's a tough case to make. The cases we've seen where the CEO is actually charged, you can see it in Ms. Dunn's situation where they're claiming that she was aware of it, authorized it, you know, and then she's simply saying she wasn't um, aware of uh, all the tactics being used. So um, just a couple of memos passing his desk, giving all the things that uh, a CEO has uh, coming across his or her desk, uh, that's just not going to be enough. Something that I, that I wonder about, if I may interject, somewhat related, is um, originally when this whole thing broke and Tom Perkins, the board member, went, you know, went public with this whole pretexting issue um, was the question of reporting to the SEC uh, the real reason why Perkins quit the board, and he accused HP of misreporting or improperly reporting, and I'm still not clear on whether that'll have repercussions for the company or Hurd or Larry Sansini or anyone else for that matter. With Congress's involvement now, do we expect to see any type of federal pretexting statute as a follow-up to California's? Well, the, the members of the committee, at least the Democrats, certainly uh, beat the drums over it, although you know, with, with Congress, whenever you see a, a congressional committee hearing, I, I'm enough of a cynic now to know that, you know, that, that's the soundbite of the day, and then they will move on. There's legislation out there um, that's caught in a fight between two Senate committees. Uh, with the election coming up, if the Democrats take control, might they uh, push it through? But maybe it, it will be, you know, again, it'll, it'll be a law to deal with uh, something that, the time has already passed. It could be used down the road. It's not a very important issue criminally, uh, at least not at the federal level. I wanted to follow up a question that Bob asked earlier. Is there any way now that a, a corporation can control uh, any type of leaks? I mean, Bill, you said that you know you can't stop them, but is there any way to investigate them at this point? Let's ask Justin that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, no, no, no way, not at all. No, I'm joking. Um, uh, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, I'm sure, I guess anyone is free to investigate anything coming out of their own office, whether it's a government office or a private company. I, I tend to get very nervous when to think that people would be investigating reporters themselves where they got their sources. But 
it's something you see a lot now coming out of government with um, various leak investigations that have put or you know promised to put reporters in jail and um, for private companies. And I mean, as a reporter, you know, you hope for leaks. Um, you try to cultivate sources who will leak things to you and, and try not to give them up. But I, I think it's difficult. From what I understand, you know, it's hard to find legal means to investigate people's, you know, what, what are private communications. I will again, say, you know, I'm not a big uh, advocate of figuring out. Yeah, sorry, just, uh, I'll jump in and say, obviously a, a corporation is entitled to review uh, its own email, its own service, its own employees' emails. That's how it, that's the, the, um, the fundamental tenet of all internal investigations. Um, um, I think everybody knows if you're an employee using a company server, a company uh, laptop, uh, you don't have ultimate control over that. And so um, you're certainly within, the corporation certainly within its rights, um, to uh, to review um, uh, company emails, um, but you know beyond that, where you where you go outside the corporation, you go into people's private lives. I mean, obviously that's where um, the issues come up. Um, uh, you know, we would uh, you know you'd start any conference on this saying you know if you want to avoid leaks, don't give uh, people anything to leak about. Um, obviously, that's a um, sometimes a, a pie in the sky uh, for corporations. But um, you know if you're uh, if you're taking care of business and you have a relatively clean house. Uh, then people should not be burning the uh, the phone wires or uh, emails um, with uh, with leaks. Um, but um, you know, obviously, uh, there are there are challenges in that department, and uh, corporations going forward are not all going to be perfect. So I, I don't see really there's any way um, that you can avoid those leaks. I think this case is unique because the uh, it, the focus is on leaks at the board level. And I think most companies would like to think that that would be one place that, that there wouldn't be leaks. Well, we're just about out of time, and we'd like to wrap up with your final thoughts and get your contact information so our listeners can reach you in case they'd like to get a hold of you. So, uh, Professor, let's start with you. Well, contact information is, uh, my email is peter.henning at wayne, W-A-Y-N-E dot E-D-U. Uh, I'm always around and easy to get. Uh, final thought is, and this building on something that Bill said, is uh, how do you prevent this from happening again? Sometimes the toughest job for a lawyer, in-house or outside, is saying no to a client because it isn't any fun to say no. Uh, and Clients don't like to hear it. Uh, but someone at HP should have said, no, we can't do this. A couple of people tried to raise the issue, but they decided that they wanted to get this investigation done. And Bill? Yes, my email um, is wkeane, K-E-A-N-E, at F as in Frank, B as in boy, amazonmichael.com, fbm.com from my law firm, Pharrell and Braun and Martell. We were talking before about um, how juries would see this case and the impact if uh, um, you have high-level executives making a significant amount of uh, compensation. One of the interesting things about this case, contrary to many other white-collar cases, is how simple and basic the facts really are and how every, just about every member of the public, every person in that jury pool is going to understand and relate personally to it. Um, whereas you might have a complicated securities fraud case, revenue recognition, even the stock options is a, is a, a very complicated issue. Uh, not everybody has stock options or has, um, has dealt with that, but everyone has personal uh, uh, records, personal phone records, personal utility records, um, and it's going to be interesting on how the, um, the both sides uh, deal with that, and I think it's potentially an explosive issue for uh, the defense side. Um, because people are going to walk into that courtroom and they're going to have, um, you know, some proprietary, some personal, some privacy uh, rights and feelings about their personal phone records, um, and that'll be interesting to see how um, the defense side uh, handles that and diffuses that um, uh, that familiarity and that concern that uh, uh, persons in the jury pool will have. 
Justin, you get the final word. Oh, well, my email, and I'm always happy to hear from leakers, is uh, <laughs> jschek at alm.com, is in American Lawyer Media. And my final thought is just that I think it'll be very interesting to see what plays out as people uh, feel forced to turn on one another and on the company and to see who gets more blame and, and how much of the blame is legitimately directed at various high-profile people. So I'm uh, eagerly watching the court proceedings and whatever else happens coming from the federal government. But you promise your source is confidentiality, right? Oh, oh of course, yeah. Well, Bob, that wraps it up for Coast to Coast this week, and I guess we'll be looking for some guests who can give us some leaks next week. <laughs> That's right. We'd like to thank the guests we had today. Uh, very much appreciate their time. It was a pleasure talking to them and a pleasure talking to you, Craig. Take care. Thanks for listening to Coast to Coast with Jake Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Coast to Coast has been sponsored by Law.com. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.